Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in His sufferings in order that we may also share in His glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Romans 8, 15-27 Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 8. We're going to focus primarily from the text that was just read over us on verse 15. So I'd love for you to have your apps or your Bibles open to that verse in particular this morning uh, as we begin in what Taylor had mentioned earlier is a series on prayer. And I know if you're anything like me, and I always worry about this, when you hear we're doing three weeks in prayer, you're like, ugh, good time to vacation, right? Because when preachers talk about prayer, for many of us, it brings a sense of guilt, It brings this sense of, I don't pray enough. Well, let me put the room at ease. I have never met a Christian in in, in my walk of faith as a pastor for the last 35 years. I've never met a single person following Jesus who ever felt like their prayer life was robust enough. I've never once met a single person who's like, oh, I, I pray more than I should. Most of us fear this conversation because we're like, I need to pray more. And you know it. So this entire series, I want to put you shame free. This entire series is not about you should pray more. I want to give you the reasons why you will pray more. I want to show you evidence from scripture that will lead you to say, this is not as hard as I've made it. It's not as complicated as I've made it. And this is not about whether or not God likes me or not. It actually is about a a greater connection. So in our Life Alive series, if you were with us for the last seven weeks, uh, one of the things we went through was looking at the fruit of the spirit and how we don't fabricate that. God does work in us. The Holy Spirit works in our lives to make us good and loving and joyful and peaceful and so on and so forth. And even last week, Drake led us to saying that self-control is about the disciplines we put into our lives so that we can receive more of the Spirit. 
we can receive more of what God has intended for us. And I want to continue on by telling you that I think one of the clear marks of being a spirit-led person is our prayer life. And I want to show you that why that takes place. But no shame, no guilt. I want to entice you in this series to follow along. See, prayer is one of those things that it's complicated. Prayer seems weird. So there's a story I read in the Reader's Digest a lifetime ago that I got a kick out of. This woman was saying that they, they went to church as a family, but they weren't really connected to all the things of the church. But when they particularly went to her husband's house, her father-in-law, they called him Grandpa Will, always gave a blessing over the food before they ate. And she said she thought because they went to church that her three-year-old understood what was taking place when they did that eve- evening. And she discovered when they went to another friend's house that their three-year-old didn't get it. Because at their friend's house, they just started eating without saying prayer. And her three-year-old interrupted everybody and said, aren't we going to read the plates? <laughs> ah, there you are. Or another one, a preacher friend of mine told me about this in Indiana, that there was this little boy in church and he was sitting between his parents. He was, he was very, very young, but he was being a child. And he was trying his best to stay still and be quiet, but he just couldn't for very long. And he was acting up in church. And finally, the father got exasperated and grabbed the child, slung him over his shoulders and went right down the center aisle to take him out in the foyer to have, you know, that conversation. The one my dad had with me a few times. But they said as this little boy was being taken, dragged down the aisle by his father, he looked at the church and he yelled, pray for me, please pray for me. (laughs) All right, now we all know that prayer. But we're going to talk about something different. We're going to talk not about the mechanics of prayer, but the power that's available to us in prayer. May we never, ever abandon our reliance on our need to be connected to God. That's what the Life Alive series was. Our reliance is on the Holy Spirit to produce in us transformation and to understand prayer. May we never give up the reliance we need daily on who God is. Let me give you a definition of prayer that's going to guide these three weeks. Prayer is the heart of a child interacting with trust and faith in the heart of a father through the gift of a son by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to go through that with you again as it's on the screen. It's, it's the heart of a child interacting by faith and trust in the heart of a father through the gift of a son by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what we mean when we talk about prayer. Let's look at verse 15 of Romans chapter 8. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. We're going to look at that last sentence in verse 15. And we're going to look at some other passages, but I want you to hold that there. And I want to kind of keep revisiting that last theme because I want to show you four things about prayer through the Holy Spirit that's available to us that will allow it to become a more natural part of who we are. Remember, prayer is not the amount of words we use. Just hold on to that thought for a little bit. And you're going to find out that prayer is not this mechanical thing. It's actually something completely different. So let's begin. What we learn is that we pray instinctively. Through the Spirit, we pray instinctively. Verse 15 again, last sentence. It says, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Now I've heard this at youth rallies. I've heard it at CIYs, at other speakers. I may have even said it myself in teaching. We have simplified this to say Abba means daddy. And it does and yet it doesn't. It it does, but it's more than that. We know that 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 word, that Abba, 
Uh, I remember being in an airport in Israel and seeing a young, a little tiny kid, just barely waddling, running across the floor, yelling, Abba, Abba, Abba. And his dad picked him up, swept him in his arms and carried him away. It was a beautiful moment. He was crying, Daddy. So it does mean that. But we know that, and we, we dads, we like to tease the moms, right? Because one of the first easiest guttural words for a child to say is Dada. Mama's harder. That doesn't, I don't think for a moment, when both of my boys said Dada before they said Mama, even though Heather was begging them, they weren't picking me over her. They were giving this guttural expression. And when a, when a baby says Dada, they don't mean the bald guy compared to the one with blue eyes, right? They're actually simply saying the connection. And one of the beautiful things here is that we pray instinctively. We all know how to pray. Before you were a believer, or even if you're not a believer today and you're just kicking the tires on this Christianity thing, you know how to pray. It's instinctive to cry out to a greater power. Have you noticed sociologically, every uh, culture has gods? Because we all know there's something bigger and more powerful than us. And when we are powerless, what do we turn to? The power. So we instinctively know how to pray. This connection with Abba, this expression of Dada, this guttural expression of connection is a beautiful thing that the Holy Spirit does in our lives. See, before you became a believer, you could ask God for things. God hears the prayers of sinners. He heard mine. Did he hear yours? He heard mine for help, for protection, for grace. And he answered those prayers. So unbelievers can pray. They pray instinctively. Yet through the power of the Holy Spirit, something more distinct happens. Something new happens. It's a new kind of language. We don't pray for something. We pray for God. We cry out, Dad. We cry out, Mom. In our, in our worst moments, right? In the middle of a thunderstorm, in the middle of the night, or you awaken from a bad dream, your first thought is instinctively to go to the power. You go to the connection. And we're told here that the Holy Spirit connects us to Abba. Before you go after something, when we prayed, all we wanted was God to do something, God to stop something, God to give us something. Now, through the Holy Spirit, we pray for God, even if he does nothing. We, our faith and our hope and our trust is established in who he is. We pray because we have God, a connection directly to him. So we pray instinctively. We all know this. But as the Holy Spirit begins to work in us, we pray realistically. And this is significant. It's going to take me longer to establish this point than the other uh, three. So I want you to go with me on this one. Realistically, let's look at verse 15, last sentence again. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. We cry. The, the word used in Romans chapter 8 is the word groan. It's, it's this concept of when we pray as a consumer, we're praying because we want God to protect us, to keep us safe, to keep us happy, right? The American prayers make my children happy and successful, and the Bible speaks nothing of that. The Bible says make them good and faithful so that when life is hard, and it will be, they have something to land on. It's not happiness. It's goodness. It's faithfulness. It's trust. And so it says we cry. The word cry is a word of deep emotion. It's, it's what happens when we're in distress or desire, it's in that moment, it's like when, when Peter in Matthew chapter 14 is walking on water toward Jesus and then he realizes, I shouldn't be able to do this. And he starts to sink. It says he cries, he groans, it's the same word. It's desire, it's distress. One theologian said, it's sighing and throbbing with pain. 
It's that sensation. It's not the cry of inconvenience. It's actually, it's that punch in the gut, the I can't breathe. If something doesn't help me right now, all is lost. So we read verses 20 through 22, and Paul tells us in this chapter something interesting about what's taking place in our world. This is why I say we pray realistically in the spirit, because we're identifying what's really going on. Verse 20, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know the whole earth has been groaning, crying, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. The world's broken. It's decaying. You and I know this to be true. I don't celebrate this, but every day I get older, there are some muscles that I have that stopped working. And when I reignite them, they don't like it. There's memories that I want to hold on to. I can't remember names as quickly as I used to. There are certain things that happen, and Heather and I spend 20 minutes trying to figure out if we know our parents' names anymore. You know what I mean? This groaning and this decay, we feel it all the time. And I'm not the only one. You, you read the news every night or you hear the news, and you're bombarded with the fact this world's not upwardly spiraling toward greater. Evolution's a lie. It's devolving. It's breaking apart and falling apart, and the world groans. It even says creation understands this is not the way it was supposed to be. And then it says in verse 23, Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, he's talking about believers, groan inwardly as we await eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. That the Holy Spirit is showing us that the world we live in is broken. This is not the end. We should not invest our things that are going to destroy by rust and decay. But we ought to invest in things that will never lose their value, things in the kingdom. And the world is sighing and throbbing with pain, and believers are throbbing and sighing with it, only balanced by our hope, only sustained by understanding God's faithfulness. And the the Spirit is speaking to remind us of our future. Isn't it good news, church, that one of the reasons we can pray to God is because our God is not the dry up God, quit your complaining, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get back to work, God. Now, we have a spirit that speaks to us. You're right. The world is breaking down. You're right. That is evil. That is dark. This is not fair. This is not right. And the spirit is reminding us regularly that we do not live for this day. We live for that day. And that hope sustains us. Verse 26. In the same way, the spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Now, it doesn't say that the Spirit will save us from our weakness. The text actually says he will save us in our weakness. The reason we pray is not only instinctive, but we pray because we realize this world is not right. We are not in control. We are sovereign over nothing. God is the only one who has control. And so we lean into him. And the Holy Spirit teaches us how to groan realistically. He doesn't teach us how to whine He teaches how to be real. Read the Psalms. There's a bunch of junk going on in the psalmist's life, and they each identify that junk and place it at the feet of the sovereign God. They know how to groan. And the Holy Spirit gives us permission. Because the question is not, will you groan? The question is not, will you cry? The question is, who will you cry to? Cry to your own power? 
Cry to your own strength or cry to God himself. And the Holy Spirit is the one whispering in your soul, cry to him. Cry to him. Quit griping and complaining and cry to him. And it's such good news to know that Jesus came and walked the earth and understands our predicament and does not roll his eyes at what breaks our hearts. The Spirit's reminding us regularly. And the Holy Spirit will guide you in prayer. So if you're taking notes, I want you to just write down a few things, some very practical things to help you pray. I told you I wasn't going to teach you how to pray, but I actually want to show you what puts you in a position to allow the Holy Spirit to guide you in prayer. First of all, begin by remembering who he is. This is not a waste of time. This is not like blowing kisses at God so he turns his head and gives you his attention. This is reminding yourself when you walk into the Holy of Holies what a privilege it is to walk in there and not be killed, right? So remember who he is. Remember back in the Old Testament that they wouldn't even write the name of God because they didn't want to lower him to such commonality that he just became, eh, you know, just God. So there needs to be a reverent respect for who God is. Now, I can't sing a lick. I wish I could. Now, I love this morning. Just hearing when, when Chip stepped away from the mic and all of you took over the song, they were talking about it backstage. How Great Thou Art is a song that I use very often when I begin to pray. Now, I'm not saying I'm an expert prayer. I'm not. But what it does is it sets my mind on who I am talking to. Music is a wonderful gift in prayer. So if you're not really good at coming up with enough to say to speak for 20 minutes, good. You shouldn't. Prayer is less about the words we use and about the person whose presence we're in. So just spend a few moments just listening and reminding your heart who you're talking to. Second of all, think how able he is. Remind yourself of not only who you're talking to, but what he has demonstrated in your life that shows he is able. It might be the cross. It might be the resurrection. It might be an answer to prayer that changed someone's history. It might be the fact that the gospel message penetrated your soul and brought you to life. Just spend a few moments remembering not only who you're talking to, but how able he is. And then recall, in a world of brokenness, all the goodness that God still provides. Now, I know this sounds goofy, but since I'm a foodie, let me go to my realm. I've had a great week. Ask me why. Because for the last four nights, I've had strawberry shortcake every night. The strawberries are here, church. And they're rich, and they're red, and they don't need sugar, and they're flat-out delicious. And my beautiful bride has been making me strawberry shortcake every night for four nights, and there's enough for tonight. I'm on a roll. And if you don't think for a moment when that plate or that big bowl of ice cream and strawberries comes before me that I don't thank God for strawberries, you lie. And when sweet corn comes out in July, I'm going to celebrate all over again. When you look at your plate of food today for lunch, you may have paid for it, but you didn't create it. Corn, chicken, beef, pork, praise the Lord, strawberries, raspberries, blueberries, watermelon, sweet corn. Who gave us all of that? Don't you think for a second he's not able, if he can decide to bless his people who have done nothing right from day one with strawberries, he's a good God. There you are, church. Look at the animals you love. Look at the birds in your backyard. Look at the multiple colors of green that surround you every day in nature. Jesus said, consider the lilies. You know what you'll find yourself if you're not careful? You'll find yourself praying for 30 minutes and you won't even realize it's been that long. Because it's not amount of time, it's actually reviewing every day in an act of worship who we get in prayer. It's not what we get, it's who we get. And the Spirit will help you grab hold of God. 
And that's a gift. So we pray instinctively, we pray realistically, then we pray relationally. Let's look at that last sentence in verse 15 one more time. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Father. Verse 17. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we might also share in his glory. We don't cry out, dear judge, dear ruler, dear commander, dear boss. We cry out what? Dear father. It's a privilege that we don't deserve. We don't deserve it at all, but we have it. We have it through Jesus. Remember, prayer is the love of a child by faith and trust in a loving father through the gift of a son by the power of the spirit. And Jesus gave you and I this privilege, a connection with the one. That's why the word Abba matters. It's a connection, a relationship with our father. It's not just a empirical father. It's actually, Jesus taught us to pray our father. Prayer is the heart of a child reaching out to his or her father. Now, I know that that is, it's like, yeah, Mark, we know. But when Jesus called him our father, not the father, when he referred to him as my father, he was the first person to enter into that relationship schema to show us that this is different than just a father. He's our father. And when he did that, it astounded the teachers. It astounded the crowd. And I want to say this very cautiously, but as a pastor, I want to say it to you. When being able to call God father does not astound us anymore, we need to go back and review the gospel. Because we've placed ourselves above our pay grade. The fact that you and I can call him father is the gift of all gifts. Prayer is not an obligation. It is the opportunity of a lifetime to connect with creator God on a personal level with him. Not diminishing his holiness, but actually understanding the gift that we've been given. So last weekend, my family and I had to go back to South Bend, unfortunately, for a funeral. And it was also my dad's 86th birthday. So the weekend started horribly and ended happily. And what was amazing is I walked into my father's house on Grape Road in South Bend, Indiana. And I walked in without knocking. I opened the door. I walked in. I opened his refrigerator. I took a bottle of his cold water from the refrigerator. I found out, well, he thinks they're hidden, but I found out where he keeps my favorite oatmeal cookies. And I opened them up and I grabbed a couple and I went downstairs and hugged my mom and dad and talked to him for a moment. And when my dad hugged me, he whispered in my ear, did you get a cookie? And I walked in without permission at all. I walked into my father's house. I took advantage of his stuff. I enjoyed his stuff. I enjoyed his presence. And it was good. Not being too abrupt, but none of you can do that. You don't get to walk in Dale Christian's house and open his refrigerator and drink his water and eat his favorite cookies. You don't get to sit on his couch. You don't get to do that. Why? Because he's not your dad. But he's mine. And there's privileges of being his son. And they're good. You see what I'm saying? Jesus could have held all of that to himself. And he could have told each and every one of us, you don't get to walk in my father's house. You don't get to speak my father's name. You don't get to enter into his presence because of your sin. But you know what Jesus did? He broke all of that down and he gave us the gift of a lifetime. May it never stop astounding us that we can call him father. It's about relationship. And this is what the spirit does. It reminds us of our place in the gospel. And our place is not where it should be. Our place is elevated because of the blood of Jesus Christ to a place that you are his daughter. Regardless of your past, you're his daughter. You're not a stepchild. You're his daughter. You're his son. 
Regardless of what you've done or thought in the past, the gospel tells you that by the blood of Jesus Christ, he is our father who is in heaven. Holy is his name. What a privilege. So we pray instinctively, realistically, relationally, and the last one is we pray experientially. Look at that last sentence in verse 15 one more time with me. And by him, this entire chapter is speaking about the work of the Spirit. And by the Holy Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. Does that mean that we wouldn't cry this way without the Spirit? I tend to believe so. You can pray knowing there's a God. But there's something that the Holy Spirit does, and I want to show you here because it's, it's the part that makes my tail wag the fastest. This is the moment in time where the power of the Spirit in our prayer is undeniable and it's missing for many of us. Now, some of you are getting weirded out. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit and experience. And you're like, oh, here we go. No, just relax. It's the work the Holy Spirit does, not what we do to make the Holy Spirit work. We don't have to drum up emotions. Although, I'll be very surprised if you enter into prayer without emotion. That would seem dead. There's something about excitement and passion. Look at verse 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. It's quite interesting. Now, isn't that just repeating what verse 15 already said? Yeah and no. It does say that by him, we cry out, Abba, Father. But it also says, and while we're doing that, the Holy Spirit is testifying to our testimony. Now, for those of you visiting here this morning, there has been a 12-year dynamic between me and these people. I like to ask questions. They refuse to answer them. This has been a 12-year journey. All right? And we're not the most talk-back church, and that's cool, because I talk a lot. So we, we make it balance. But I want you to understand what the word amen means. It's not a preacher saying, do you love me? It's not a preacher saying, did you like what I'm saying? The word amen actually means truth. It was a testimony to someone proclaiming a truth of the gospel that you could not keep silent. So the church would say, amen. In other words, someone would testify that that's true. I know it to be true. And then they would strike out truth. Praise God. Preach it. Some people get happy and like, yeah, right? So what I want you to know here is that the beauty of this text is the power of the Holy Spirit not only gives us a connection to God as Abba, Father, but he also will speak to us in our truth. He will amen our amen. Easiest way I can describe it is this way. The Holy Spirit is willing to give testimony to your testimony, which is one of the reasons why we should pray, is to connect our truth to its source. And while we're doing so, I was nine years old, Michiana Christian Service Camp, Niles, Michigan, seated around a campfire pit. And I remember the night that someone told me the facts of the gospel I already knew. I was raised in the church. I knew A plus B plus C equals D. I knew the equation. But it was in that moment at nine years of age, at fourth or fifth grade camp, sitting around that campfire bowl, that the Holy Spirit amended my testimony. In other words, the Holy Spirit told me and created in me a connection to the gospel I'd never had before. I knew the facts. Are you with me? But all of a sudden, I started believing them. I had this moment where it's like, yes, Jesus does love me, and he will never stop loving me, and I don't deserve to be loved. And all of a sudden, these connections started to be made. And here's the beauty of it. He's never stopped connecting those for me. I knew so little at nine years of age. There's no way I should have made the decision I made, but I knew enough at nine to know it was true. And the Holy Spirit has been working through preachers and teachers and scripture and prayer and community 
so that it gets affirmed over and over. And even when life is hard and I am groaning against the brokenness of the world, the Holy Spirit will speak in my prayer life and through the word of God and affirm the truth. He amens our amens and gives testimony to truth. Prayer is less about what we say than the posture by which we enter into it. And then the Holy Spirit begins to talk. See, when our prayers become melancholy, they probably have become a list of our needs instead of actually spending time in the presence of the one we need. See, the Spirit may be quieter than we want him to be because we haven't said any truth in a long time. We've just told God what needs to be done. And remember, God does not need our information. He needs our trust. Well, the word needs awkward there. God doesn't want our information. He wants our hearts, our trust, our presence. In the last book of the Chronicles of Narnia, written by C.S. Lewis, and if you haven't read the seven little, they don't take very long to read. And some of you are like, I don't like fiction. Well, because you've never read any good fiction. It, you've wasted time on worse things than to read the Chronicles of Narnia. Trust me. And this summer would be a great time to do so. In the last book, The Last Battle, there's a moment in which the old Narnia is gone. It's been obliterated. The old earth, heaven and earth, is destroyed. And the new heaven and earth of Narnia has been created. And those that enter into the new Narnia with Aslan the lion, the Jesus figure, they want to stop inside. Once they get inside the heaven, they just want to stop and enjoy it. And Aslan begins to go. And he says, follow me further up, further in. And this is a reoccurring line in this book. Further up, further in. Further up, further in. Do you know why you should pray? Not because God's mad if you don't. Because in prayer, the Holy Spirit takes us further up and further in, deeper into God, deeper into the gospel, deeper into truth, deeper into relationship. Who doesn't want that? I've never met a Christian who felt their prayer life was robust enough, but I've met a lot of Christians who wish it were. And how does it happen? It means you center yourself on the gospel truth. You open yourself up to the gospel message and you let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Pray is a way into infinite depth. It's not a better relationship we receive in prayer. It's the affirmation of the eternal relationship that's always been there for you. Church, do you hear that? It's not saying I want more of God. It's I actually want to understand all of God that I have. It's already there for you. All of him through Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit. To enter into a moment where we sit and we bask in its beauty. Well, it'd be ridiculous to preach about praying and then not pray. So this is where it gets real. If you're still taking notes, I'd like to take the four points I made this morning and give you in this next 30, 45 seconds or so, when I'm done talking, we're going to pray. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you can just sit quietly if you so choose. But you can talk to him too. And if you are a believer, I'd like you to enter into this. Instinctively, sit in the presence of the Father. Remember who he is. Remember how able he is. Celebrate all that he's already done. Realistically, groan, sigh, cry. Tell him your struggle with faith. Tell him your struggle with prayer. Tell him your struggle in a world that's falling apart in believing anything is good and worthwhile. Be honest with him. God can handle your honesty. He already knows it. Relationally, thank him that he's adopted you as his son and daughter. 
that you are not one day, but you are currently a joint heir with Jesus in all the promises and goodness. And experientially, listen for the Holy Spirit to strike your heart and soul, your mind and your thoughts with truth. Listen for the amen to the truth. Sing him a song. Meditate on a passage of scripture. Quote a scripture that matters to you. The gift in prayer is what we've already received. We get God, the will of God, the kingdom of God, the glory of God. What a gift. What a privilege. Let's pray. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.